Good morning. We're continuing in our series lessons that took me 71 years to learn with these indescript subtitles that make interesting community conversation when it's on the boards outside. This morning, God didn't ask Sarah how she felt about the move. Father, I pray that um, you'll help make sense out of the presentation, that we will hear what would be beneficial to our life in Christ. And um, so pray for wisdom, pray for insight. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 12. It'll be on the screen if you're visiting with us. There's Bibles in the pews. The Lord had said to Abram, just to clarify, Abram later, his name is changed to Abraham. And is that right, Abram? Yes. <laughs> You're soon to be able to be called Abraham. <laughs> and Sarah was Sarai, same people. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. <clears throat> Excuse me. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. The question I want to ask is, what don't we read in this passage? What I think we don't read is, and God asked Sarai, how do you feel about the move? And Sarai said, I think it stinks. And not wanting to alienate his wife, Abram stayed in Haran until he died. We don't read that. But let me be even more dramatic. And so not wanting to alienate his wife, Abram disobeyed God and therefore forfeiting God's blessing not only on himself, but the entire world. Fortunately, we don't read that. Genesis 12 is part of what is called the Abrahamic Covenant. And combined with Genesis 15, we have God's promise to bless Abram with a son, a nation, Israel, and eventually to make his family a blessing to the entire world, which includes every one of us here this morning. But we have no record of God asking Sarah what she thought about the move. I, I often wonder, did Abram, Abraham and Sarah ever have a conversation about this move? We don't know, but I imagine they did. 
But when push came to shove, when it came to obeying God, Sarah's opinion was mute. Let me personalize this. I was working full-time for Trinity College and Seminary north of Chicago. While attending my fourth year of seminary, Sherry, by the way, it's a three-year course. Um, <laughs> Sherry was also working for the school. In fact, I was her boss. This is a confession. I don't think that's necessarily uh, the best idea. Um, it was not the best idea for us. <laughs> Heidi had just been born. It looked like we were in for one more year of school. I was trying to cram three years in seminary into five, and working full-time meant taking a lighter load of classes. Each spring, the district superintendents of the Evangelical Free Church that I was associated with used to come to Trinity to fish for pastors. Um, I knew that the DS from Southern California was on campus looking for me, and since I wasn't going to graduate, I was feeling, I, I am down here a little depressed, I was feeling a lot depressed, and wanted to avoid having to meet with him. Fortunately, my office had a front door and a back door, and when I saw him coming, I made my way out the back door. For most of the entire week, it worked out just fine, but eventually, he caught me. The first words out of my mouth were something like this. Wally, I'm not going to graduate, so you might as well look for somebody else. His response, I already know that. You're done with school. You're ready for ministry. I have a church for you in mind in Covina, California, a suburb of LA. They need a youth pastor, and you might be the right guy. They'll be contacting you. In a matter of weeks, we flew to California to candidate at that church. They called us, and in June of 1972, and for some of you I know that's uh, decades ago, over four, <laughs> we packed up a few belongings and our three-month-old baby girl and moved to Southern California. What have I not told you so far? What did Sherry think about the move? Maybe it'd be a good time to close in prayer. <laughs> <laughs> but before I tell you, you need to know a couple more things. Heidi was the first giant grandchild for both sets of parents. Sherry's folks were living in Iowa and that, at that time, and my folks living in Michigan. L.A. was 2,500 miles from one set of parents and 3,000 miles from the other. God only asked Abraham to move a little over 1,000 miles. It's kind of like moving from Minnesota to Abertown, 1,200 miles. Both of us loved our parents very much. But I had been away from home for seven years by this time. And even though we had been married almost two years, Sherry did not have the transition years away from home that I had. This move would prove to be particularly difficult for her. But when God made it clear to me that this was his call on our lives, Sherry sucked it up and came along for the ride. She says it wasn't that bad. It was. Um, we've now been in the ministry for 46 years. 
and moved all over the country, including a couple of years on the mission field in the third world in Haiti. And if you ask Sherry what she thought about the moves, she would tell you today what she would have told you 46 years ago. God never asked Sarah what she thought about the move. Now, <clears throat> before you get all bent out of shape thinking that God and husbands are insensitive and women's opinions don't count, I ask that, that you hear me out. Three weeks ago, Sherry, uh, via uh, a video, when we were talking about marriage, she said that she had put the halt to a potential move to California years later. She will also tell you that God works in her heart often before he deals with mine uh, about a potential move. And if you already don't know this, Sherry was more convinced that we should move to Haiti than I was. She was the one who said, I think that God wants us to be in Haiti. But she will also tell you that when she married a pastor, she vowed not to become the voice of God in his life. Or another way to put it, she vowed not to be the Holy Spirit in Dave's life. And ultimately, even if I was listening to my own voice, and, and this, this is important, even if I was listening to my own voice instead of God's voice, she would be obedient to her husband because God would deal with her husband for the wrong choice, but God would deal with her for her lack of obedience. Ephesians 5.22 says, For wives, this means to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. However, my plan this morning is not to deal with the ruling and submissive issue in Ephesians 5. Um, and of course, Ephesians 5.21 says that husbands and wives are supposed to submit to one another. My agenda is to show you how God blesses obedience. Husbands and wives are to be submissive to one another. Hebrews 11, um, if we're gonna take a look at this for a second, the entire chapter is full of examples of how God blesses obedience by faith. Verses 8 to 12. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going, and even when he reached the land, God promised him he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise, and so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead. I love that a nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there is no way to count them. Well, this may be good news or bad news, but if Sherry had said, no way, Jose, I don't even want to know the way to San Jose, we would not have been in Grace Chapel. 
today. God has and will continue to bless Sherry because of her selfless obedience and respect for her husband's position. Would God have blessed Abraham had he stayed in Ur or Haran? My guess is probably not. God had bigger purposes in mind than Abraham and Sarah's little world. In fact, God blessed Abraham and Sarah with a child after Sarah was 100 years old. This was so bizarre that she named her son Isaac, which means laughter. Would she have had a son if she remained in Haran? I, my response is no. Would she, have been, would she have seen God begin to build a nation of people through her son? Without the son? No way. Did her obedience to Abraham mean that everything would turn out roses for her? No. She had no assurance of anything. Her role was simply to be obedient to her husband and to her God. Not long after arriving in Southern California, we found out that the church was in serious trouble. It was ready to split. The senior pastor thought that if he could get an associate, he could hold the thing together. We didn't know that. The church was reeling from issues having to do with the popular Jesus movement at the time that began just miles from our church in Southern California. The hot topic was the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the miraculous gifts, what are called the apostolic gifts of the Holy Spirit, primarily tongues and healing. The deacons asked the senior pastor to preach a sermon on the church's position regarding the Holy Spirit. He preached a very fair and balanced sermon, and I felt, Sherry felt, bathed in love. However, before he finished speaking, a large group got up from their seats and walked out the back of the church. My youth group shrunk from 40 to four. Sherry and I hit bottom. We asked ourselves, we didn't sign up for this. Or did we? One Sunday we were especially low and asked the pastor and his wife to come over to our house after the evening service. We just wanted to dump our load on them. We wanted to have a good cry. We wanted to jump ship. We wanted to know where did we miss the detour sign? When they arrived at our house, we dumped. And after the dump session, they said they had come to tell us something, but now they would not tell us. We said, go ahead. Can't be worse than it already is. They had been asked to accept an administrative position at the school we had just left, Trinity in Chicago. They said they would not accept the position unless we had a piece about it. But after hearing us, they knew they better stay put. And here's where it gets really good. Here's where God stepped in and did a work in our heart. Here's the beginning of the rest of a 46 years of our ministry. God gave Sherry and I an instant peace, right? We reviewed that this morning. Um, would Al and Ollie, that was the pastor and wife's name, would Al, we, we told Al and Ollie that they should accept the position and that God would take care of us. God called us to California. 
God knew about the difficulties even before we knew about the church, we would trust God. Just moments before we were in tears, we were crushed, we would trust God. We were, or excuse me, we were ready to quit. Now both of us had an unexplained peace of heart. Does God direct our steps? The answer to that question, we believe, is a clear yes. God directs our steps. Proverbs 20, verse 24, says that the Lord directs our steps. So why try to understand any, everything along the way? That should be underlined in some of our Bibles. Let me repeat that. The Lord directs our steps. So why try to understand everything along the way? Psalm 27, 23, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of our lives. And then a verse that has come to mean a lot to Sherry and I and several others here. Psalm 77, 19, your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway no one knew was there. That evening was a turning point in Sherry and my spiritual growth. We spent only nine months at that church, but during those nine months, God worked in our ministry and our spiritual maturity. He hardened us in the, in the right places like steel and softened us in the right places like putty. We only had each other and God. We did a lot of crying. We did a lot of holding. But God knew that these two fledglings from Midwest evangelical hothouses needed some serious life experience to prepare us for next four decades of ministry. I love 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptations to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. I'd like to introduce Dave's paraphrase of that. Um, but remember that the circumstances that come into your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will keep the circumstances from becoming so strong that you can't stand up against them. When circumstances become too much, he will show you a way out so that you will not break. Again, Dave's paraphrase. God knew all along that our time in Southern California would be a nine-month seminary extension course entitled Life Experience 401, a practicum in trusting God. The whole, L, the whole L.A. thing was a test of obedience, like God later tested Abraham to see if he would be willing to sacrifice his only son. Next, God called us to Fremont, California. Fremont is a large bedroom community in the San Francisco Bay, just north of San Jose. At the time, Fremont had a population of just over 100,000 with an average age of 21. Now God was ready to use us in ministry, ready to bless our obedience. For four years, God blessed our socks off in Fremont. We soaked up life. 
God blessed our youth ministry with over 200 kids, junior high through college. We saw the church grow from 125 to 700 during those four years. And even God even gave us another child, Corey. And I was mentored by a terrific pastor who was loved by his congregation. And Harry and Dorothy and their family became our dearest friend and treated us as family. God even gave us an older couple to become surrogate grandparents to our kids in the absence of our parents. Jim and Martha treated our kids like their own. It was Uncle Jim and Aunt Martha. And then we later moved to Felton, California. Felton is near Santa Cruz on the Monterey Bay. God had some preparatory work to do in our lives at Felton. I served as the pastor of Christian Education and Family Life, and they had, a, had they had a written job description, it would have simply said, do everything the senior pastor doesn't want to do. <laughs> Interesting, four years. Uh, in that four-year period of time, we saw a pastor retire, uh, a year with no pastor, and a year with a new senior pastor. Though sometimes difficult, they were good years too. God had allowed us to be coddled in Fremont. We were primarily takers for those four years. Now it was time to be givers. Our California experience lasted nine years. We look back at those years now and have wonderful memories. God blessed us so richly. We fell in love with each other, which was very important. And, um, no, I lost, I look at my wife and I lose my, my place. <laughs> and, it, and, and what I lost was the most important. Um, and we fell in love with God. That, that was, why did I miss that one? <laughs> Um, more, we fell in love with each other and with God more intensely than we ever would have had we not been obedient to God's call in 1972. I want to go back to <clears throat> the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11, but starting with verse 39 through 40. All of these people we have mentioned received God's approval because of their faith, Yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had far better things in mind for us that would also benefit them, for they cannot receive the prize at the end of the race until we finish the race. If Sherry and I could tell you one thing that would greatly enhance your future, primarily speaking of years your age with the kiddies that are accepting Jesus and marriages that you're working on and teenagers that are in our youth ministry and maybe even hope for some of the older folks that have lost it all or the process of losing it all in many ways. If, if there was one thing that Sherry and I could tell you that would enhance your future it would be don't necessarily take the easy street. When God says jump, what? Jump. When God says jump, ask how high. Don't get sad, sidetracked because of fear and anxiety. When you are convinced that God is calling you to do something, do it. 
Don't forfeit future blessings for immediate comfort. Remember the lessons of Abraham and Sarah. God didn't tell Abraham where, and he didn't ask Sarah how she felt about it. Years later, they are added to the hall of faith because of their faith and trust in God. Now listen to this. It's on the screen. We might be more comfortable in our own comfort zone without God's blessing than we would be out of our comfort zone with God's blessing. There is absolutely nothing holy and sacred about our comfort zones. Comfort zones are to the Christian pilgrimage, Christian pilgrim, what quicksand and sinkholes are to the unsuspecting traveler. The Apostle Paul equates comfort zones to seasons, and he tells Pastor Timothy to be prepared in season and out of season. Let me paraphrase it this way. Be prepared in your comfort zone and out of your comfort zone. In fact, it has been said that life begins at the end of our comfort zones. Obedience, trust, faithfulness, they're all like scripture. God's way of preparing us in every way fully equipped for every good thing that God wants us to do. Years ago, Helen Rosevere, um, appreciate her writings. She wrote, as I came home from church one evening, I was struggling to recognize God's guidance for my life. Suddenly I drove into dense fog and could see nothing. Poking my head out the window, I noticed the tiny light from the road ahead. And as I inched my car forward, it blinked out and yet another set of in oncoming headlights took their place some yards ahead. I crawled along, allowing just the short distance I could see one light after another until the fog cleared. Then I realized that this is how God guides us. He shows us how far I need to go at any given moment. And step by step, I move from one light to the next, confident of God's guidance. I let go of the need to see the complete plan. A.W. Thorold said, the highest pinnacle of the spiritual life is not happy joy and unbroken sunshine, but absolute and undoubting trust in the love of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. For our present troubles are quite small, and they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us an immeasurably great glory that will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we look forward to, the, to what God, what we have not seen. For the troubles we see will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. Next week, you can, it'll be interesting to see if this, if this ends up on the post board. <laughs> A house full of women. You have to come and find out what that's all about. Just a reminder, at the close of the service, uh, one of the members of our prayer team will be over here on, on the 
the right, your right side of the stage, right over here. If you have need for prayer, um, you're encouraged and invited to come and pray. Father, I thank you for a lifetime of testing, a lifetime of checking out my ability and my willingness to be obedient. Thank you for your faithfulness and thank you for forgiving me when I've struggled with maintaining my own comfort zone. And I pray for any of us here this morning that are in the midst of the fog, struggling to discern the will of God, struggling to deal with their obedience, struggling to deal with their faith, faithfulness, having, honestly, a struggle with trusting God. I pray, Father, that, that they would give up the comfort zone and say, Lord, I'm in a fog, but I would like you to show me one light at a time, one step at a time, and then have the willingness to take those steps. And giving up the necessity of knowing all the details, as the scripture says, but be willing to trust you. We long to have a, a lifetime, at the end of our lifetime, having it said, well, good, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been obedient to my call. You've trusted me. In Jesus' name, amen.